Hello, and welcome to NPR's Cave Talk on the ChristopherMedia.net network, and also at EscapingTheCave.com. I'm your host, Todd, joined by Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello. (laughs) Hello, Rich. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Thank you for having us on. It is my pleasure, as always. Thank you for taking the time out to listen to us today on the ChristopherMedia.net. Okay, fuck that. That was fun. I'm going to let that fly. <laughs> I was wondering how long you're going to go. <laughs> it would be fun, I think, to actually, because of the stuff we've got lined up, it would be fun to talk about xenophobic cocksuckers in the north of England who hate everyone who come to the island. <laughs> what are your thoughts about these assholes who live in France who hate everyone who come to the city to see the Bastille and to eat French food but only speak English those cocksuckers <laughs> they <laughs> They don't even. Yeah. They can't even say "pretentious bastard" in French. This is a problem <laughs> everywhere. I have a pretty cat. He's one of those cats with eight toes. He took a dump on the floor today, and I had to kill him. It would so you be fun. The pussy. <laughs> I hit the pussy really, really hard today. <laughs> I think we have uh, a show idea here, boys. <laughs> 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 it is the Escaping the Cave podcast. I am your friendly and congenial host, Todd. Joined by Chris from uh, ChristopherMedia.net and Rich from uh, both these guys from the Unregimented podcast. I forgot to mention that on the last episode. Sorry about that, guys. So go check out Christopher Media. I'm just going to let this music bed go until it dies. It's fucking soothing, man. <laughs> Seriously. It's what like, is this, Canon and B? I don't know what the fuck it is. It's uh, Sweet Something. I can't read the whole thing on my... Uh, it just says Deep Slash Thoughtful. That's how I labeled it 15 years ago. It does Whatever sound... it is, it's public domain. It's that old. <laughs> It's nice, though. Let's, let's try to talk about Trump real quick with this music bed going <laughs> and see if it affects anything. So, Mr. Trump you know, this week. <laughs> Go ahead. He's not, he's not a racist. He's just misunderstood. <laughs> he's perhaps xenophobic. He's perhaps less than intelligent. But is he racist? What do you say, Chris? This is going off the fucking rails now. All right, I apologize. <laughs> All right, we had a plan. We left off the last episode talking about... Uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about uh, when you go to, like, France and you go to England, how it's always like, oh, you stupid Americans. This is distracting now. I can't, like, raise my energy with this music going. <laughs> See? Music does soothe the savage beast, even Toddzilla. I don't know what to do with this. Should I let it go or kill it? Wait a minute. Eh, kill it. 
Yeah, I think you're right. We're Americans. We like killing shit. <laughs> we kill. We kill shit real good. Yeah, this one's better. Ready? There we go. <laughs> now the podcast moves into the political phase. America. Death of a nation. On the next episode of Escaping the Cave. So anyway, enough of this. I get distracted. See, this is what I do, man. This is what I used to do in radio. I used to put stuff together and try to... And now I, 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 it's like a twitch. So we were talking about... I just want to, I just want to say real quick, the, the last bit of music you were playing, Yeah, I thought we were do, doing the intro to an Alex Jones documentary. Pretty much. <laughs> Have you ever seen them? They, like, they start off with like ominous music and it's like, America, not the land of the great anymore. You know, like, oh. yeah. I, I can honestly say yeah, and proudly that I don't think I have ever seen an Alex Jones documentary. Uh, there's a few that I didn't realize they were him or, or produced by his InfoWars people mm-hmm. until I had already started to watch it. And then, like, I'd see a use, you know, one of his like little crew, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> cocksucker. You got me good. You got me five minutes in before I realized this is Alex Jones. All right. Okay. It happens. Sometimes you get sucked in and don't realize what's going on right away. I understand that. So we were talking about, uh, we use two countries in in particular, uh, France and England, and how typically the stereotype or the trope is anyways, when Americans travel to Paris or London or somewhere in those countries, uh, we typically get the, the, oh, my God, it's, a, it's an American. Why are you here? Go away, kind of thing. And I posited the suggestion. Did I just say posited? I raised the idea, the possibility, that it could be just standard <laughs> xenophobia, how England and France just don't like foreigners in particular. And it triggered a thought that I had read something from Orwell from his uh, – a book, Why I Write, which contains politics in the English language. It's the last essay in that book. I highly suggest reading that at some point in time. This is how this goes. I'll try to, it's, it's like a paragraph. It's not that long, but it goes kind of like this. It is quite true that the so-called races of Britain feel themselves to be very different from one another. A Scotsman, for instance, does not thank you if you call him an Englishman. I love how he writes. Does not thank you if you call him an Englishman. You can see the hesitation we feel on this point by the fact that we call our islands by no less than six different names. England, Britain, Great Britain, the British Isles, the United Kingdom, and in very exalted moments, Albion. Continuing on, he says, Even the differences between North and South England loom large in our own eyes, but somehow these differences fade away at the moment that any two Britons are confronted by a European. It is very rare to meet a foreigner other than an American who can distinguish between English and Scots, or even English and the Irish. To a Frenchman, the Breton and the Auvernat uh, seem very different beings. And the accent of Marseille is a stock joke in Paris. (laughs) I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. We speak of France and the French, recognizing France as an entity of a single civilization, which in fact it is. So also with ourselves. Looked at from the outside, even the Cockney and the Yorkshiremen have strong family resemblance. But at the same time, the vast majority of people feel themselves to be a single nation and are conscious of resembling one another more than they resemble foreigners. 
This is the thing. Patriotism is usually stronger than class hatred and always stronger than any kind of internationalism. Except for a brief moment of the 1920s, the hands-off Russia movement, the British working class have never thought or acted internationally. It's one thing for them to like uh, not like each other, right? But as soon as somebody else comes into the picture, they sort of unite and bind together. And he goes on to say that this is one of the reasons why they're, they're, they have this uh, stereotype as being xenophobic. Like they hate all outsiders coming to visit their country, which is, in his mind, partially true. But it's also one of the traits that keeps them from being invaded. He had a lot to say about uh, patriotism in general. Like you can have issues within your country, but when it comes time, to uh, deal with an outsider or deal with an external threat, that that patriotism is always going to be stronger than anything international. I think if you've had a group of friends that's big enough, we've all had this friend, that he's the punching bag for the group, the verbal punching bag at least, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Like he's, he's just the sad sack. He's always taking the hits and getting his balls busted. But if someone from outside of your crew comes in and just joins in like – you know, hey, yeah, look at the dumbass. It's like, whoa, what, what the fuck you just say? <laughs> no, no, he's our dumbass. Yeah, exactly. We can do that. You can't do that. Get the fuck out of here. We don't know who you are. Yeah, I'm not a very like patriotic guy, and I guess the traditional sense. I don't. You know, when I watch the Olympics, I well, first of all, when I watch the Olympics, I watch very few things in the Olympics, but I just want to see a good performance. Mm-hmm. I want to see the best the sports have to offer. I mean, and if um, it happens to be like Michael Phelps winning a fuck ton of, of medals, oh, so be it. That's fine. That's fine with me. But it's not like I feel like I need to go out and, and wave an American flag because of it. You know, I'm not yelling, you know, USA, USA because of it. But at the same time, like to me, if you if you love something, you see not only all its good points, but you see its flaws and you want it to be what it's capable of being. You deal with the reality of what it is, but you also go, we're capable of so much more if we could just get past this petty bullshit or this petty nonsense. I don't have a lot of experience with people from other countries in person. Online, I've, I've dealt with this for, for, for decades now because I was a member of a huge musicians forum that had like something like 5 million you know, members, which is nothing compared to Facebook. I mean, you got to remember, this is like 2,000. And they were from all over the world and shit. And it was always, and I, I was on that forum when 9-11 happened, and it was like, you know, especially after 9-11, it was the world versus Americans. And it was just, you know, everything, it, America has no culture. America is, you know, the inbred stepchild and all this shit. And I'm just like, really, really? And I started seeing really stupid patriotism coming from all angles, raising its head. You know, I, I, I do agree with, with Doug Stanhope when he said one of the things that pisses him off is when he hears someone who's 18 go, oh, yeah, you fucking French frog motherfucker. Well, you'd be speaking German if it wasn't for us. And he's like, us? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> did, did, did we did we go over there and kick Germany's ass last night? Because I thought that we got drunk and watched sports bloopers all night long. <laughs> yeah. I checked my phone. I don't have any messages, missed messages from the French looking for muscle. I, I don't, you know, I, I, so I don't think we did anything. We need to shut the fuck up. And it's, it's kind of how I felt, not just towards Americans who say that shit, but to anybody that says that shit, like stop. History is very important. 
it's very important to know where you came from. But just like no one wants the sins of what their country did 200 years ago applied to them in real time now, you can't just pick and choose. If that's, if that's how you feel, you can't cherry pick and go, oh, but we did this in World War II. We didn't do shit. Our grandparents did that shit. Right. You know, and sadly, most of them are dead at this point. And in another generation, I, by the time Gen Z's our age, it's going to be talking about World War II is probably going to be like talking about World War I was to us when we were kids. Yeah. It's just something that, like, yeah, we uh, you know a little bit about trench warfare. That's about it, right? There was a really big bomb, I think. Huh. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think we dropped a bomb or two on Japan or something. And so that's that's where patriotism is for me. And that's how come when you say that, you know, you're, you've had a resurgence in your patriotism. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested in, in what you mean by that and how you're, and how you're approaching that because I, I just I, I don't I don't. I don't get it, I guess. You know what I'm saying? So, like, like break it down for me. What do you, when you this say is, you have I already having have. a resurgence? I already have. I mean, I, I would say that that was triggered by traveling out of the country. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so I, that was the, the, the catalyst for this. Okay. I think it was the impetus of it. I mean, it's it's. I, I have a history, and I, I, I have it in writing. I can show it to you, of being right on board with a lot of these other people. I, I think a lot of people early on, and this is going to piss some people off. I know it will. Uh, but before their intellectual balls drop, they get uh, Howard Zinnified. They read a pay, uh, what is it? A, what's the name of that book? Oh, shit. You know Howard Zinn, right? Not off the top of my head. Uh, he's no. got this book that's a, it's not a Patriots. It's a, The People's History of the United States, I think it's called. Okay. Never heard of it? A People's History no. of the U.S. All right, basically Howard Zinn is, a, he, he, this is a classic book. And it's like one of those things that you read when you're a high school sophomore that turns you into a flaming liberal for about another 15 years. It's like the first place where you find out about the Arawak Indians and what happened with Columbus when he hit the New World and what we did to the native population. Everything is taken from a, uh, your history is fucked up point of view. Howard Zinn. Oh, Okay. Howard Zinn was an avowed socialist. He didn't hide any of this to his credit. Okay. He admitted in that book, if I'm remembering correctly, that he was taking this from a socialist point of view, which translates in some sense to an anti-American point of view. He's attacking the narrative. He's attacking the national narrative, the myth that we all grew up with that sort of provided the, the national cohesion to bind us together, right? That book is one of the first things that most people who are interested, anybody who's going to be interested beyond just a basic high school U.S. history class is going to find Howard Zinn at some point. And it's going to fart these ideas into his head, and it's going to linger there for probably 15 years as they go off to college and they get further indoctrinated into the liberal sort of agenda slash curriculum. That happened to me. I, it happened to me a lot later. I found that book in 2004. And I'm like, oh my God, my country sucks. Ah! Right? For about, about five or six years. Until I uh, wound up going down to Latin America. And saw how bad people really have it down there. I saw racism down there firsthand that wasn't perpetrated by white people. And it, wasn't, it was directed at me. 
Occasionally, it didn't bother me because I kind of expected it coming from here going down there. I oh, fuck you, Gringo. I knew that was coming. What I didn't expect was to see it directed at the indigenous people down there, like in Guatemala or in southern Mexico or Peru. I didn't expect to see the indigenous people blatantly acting in racist ways towards the other people in their own damn country. And that was the thing. It's like, oh, well, wow. It's not just an American thing. I was under the impression that Amer- that racism was just an American thing. Oh, yeah. it's not. Uh-oh, I have to rethink some things, don't I? Yes, that is something that, because of the nature of my work, I'm in and out of my car a lot. I listen to a lot of NPR. That is a narrative that NPR beats that narrative drum constantly that that race is an is an like racism and, and everything is almost an American creation that everybody else in the world is so enlightened and I'm just like how the fuck could you even attempt to say that with a straight face there is a market for that to be eaten up we are at a fork in the road here with this podcast <laughs> right now because we can go a number of different directions. I could take that question you just asked and I could run this down the propaganda line for six hours if we wanted to. But where, where I was headed with that is that once you put that book in front of somebody who's not sophisticated, somebody who is young, who's naive, but eager, wants to learn, wants to do the right thing, wants to do something good with his life. You put that book in front of him, and it's going to open up all sorts of doors ideologically moving forward for a certain period of time. And if he doesn't ever get broken out of that, if he doesn't ever really go travel, he's only going to have this one perspective, that that seed that was planted by Howard Zinn when he's 16, 17 years old, or maybe 22 years old, whatever. That's a problem. And that was, that's exactly what happened to me. That happened to me personally. It shoved me down this road about a mile down this path. And everything, I don't want to say everything. There were different things that happened, but a lot of things were built off of that. So anyway, that's what I was talking about with, with, the, the, <laughs> it, with the balls dropping, the intellectual balls dropping. Because that is a propaganda, it's part of the propaganda campaign. And one of the things that they do is, uh, how do I want to approach this? Let's put it this way. Part of the um, propaganda campaign, part of the technique and the tactic is attacking symbols. That was in the outline thing that I sent to you last night. Symbols are important, Mm -hmm. right? Symbols and ideas are important. The national narrative is important. If you can attack the symbols, and these aren't just like the flag. These are ideas conceptual avatars that you have, imaginary avatars that you have in your head, the image of your country, certain images about your country, are intellectual imaginary symbols. If you can attack that and you can tear that down, you can attack the narrative itself. Right? And that's what that book does. It does it exceedingly well. And that's why it's part of a concerted campaign of propaganda. That's why it's so popular. It works. And that book has been around for decades. And what that does also, it it, it not only does it attack the symbols, it attacks patriotism. Patriotism is essential. If you're going to have a country, 
And you're going to have a unified body of people pulling in the same direction that doesn't tear itself apart. You have to have a sense of national pride. If you don't have that, what do you got? What is it? What, do you, what kind of country do you have with a population that doesn't love its own fucking country? What do you have? That is a direct question. I'm asking both of you. What do you have? I was giving Chris a chance to say something because I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm not giving him any room to talk, and he's not saying anything. All right, <laughs> he might have fallen asleep. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, the, I guess the best way I could I could because I think in analogies and, and stuff like that is, sure. is a house where the, the the children hate the parents, and it's just it, it's just nothing but conflict and and bullshit going on inside that house anytime you put the parents and the kids together you both work with people right hey can you guys hear me now we can now we can oh gee. wow i wonder how long i've been saying shit and you guys haven't been hearing me i haven't Quite heard a while. shit from you in like a long time <laughs> wow that sucks i've been saying a bunch of shit all right <laughs> did you hear the conversation we were just having just now I've heard everything. Okay. I've, I've been participating. Apparently, you haven't been hearing me. I haven't heard. No, I thought you fell asleep. I swear to God. No, anyway. My mic was on. I, I unplugged it and replugged it, and all of a sudden, you can hear me. Weird. All right. <laughs> it, it, it looked operational. All right. Whatever. Anyway, the question was, if uh, we're talking about patriotism, right, and, and attacking yeah. patriotism. And I under, and Chris uh, Rich originally asked me where my resurgence in this came from. He stated, and he'll correct me if I'm mischaracterizing this, that he doesn't really feel it. He doesn't, he, it's just something he ain't got. So I, my question is to you guys, what do you have nationwide if you don't have patriotism? What do you have for a country if it's filled with people that can't stand the country or don't like it or don't have any attachment to it? Uh, you don't have a country. You have a divided country. Really? I mean, it's, one could argue you have the beginning of a revolution, but I think we're too fucking lazy for that to happen. I, I, he used the metaphor of a family. I was going to translate this to you guys. Imagine your work. You guys both work with people on a regular basis, right? Imagine going to mm -hmm. work every single day with people that actually actively hate the company they work for. Before the mic snafu, I was about to make that point. It's like supervising a group of people. They have to like where they work, right? You, know, you can pay them a, a million-dollar salary. If they don't like where they work, who fucking cares? you got to be happy. I think we have a very dysfunctional situation happening. Right. That's the problem with patriotism. And there are two ways we can go with this. I want to hit the bookmark. You guys, I need help here because I will not find my way back. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Okay? Remember that. AOC. We're going to come back here in a minute. But when you start attacking patriotism, you're corroding the cohesion, the very fundamental basic cohesion of a country. This isn't nationalism. There's a distinct difference between patriotism and nationalism. All right. But what I'm afraid is that when you start attacking patriotism, especially in a country that's evenly divided like this, the boomerang effect is going to hit. You're going to be preaching to the choir, but your words are also going across the street to the other congregation. Do you think that, that, that these words are not going to have an effect? Do you think that the patriotism they already feel for their country when they hear you attack it from within isn't going to turn into a stubborn nationalism at some point? Absolutely. That's human nature. Well, no, it, it's, it's human nature if, if 
if someone attacks a belief you ho- you hold or or a value you have to shove back to not want to give an inch it's like talking to the street preachers right you're not changing that person's mind if they're steeped in patriotism and their love for this country what oh wait the 29 year old from the bronx i've seen the light you've changed my mind that's never never happening. happens it's never happened never how many minds we've all had our facebook wars and our, our our social media wars right how many minds have you changed I would venture to say none. I may have changed two, but not from ideology to ideology. It doesn't would, fucking happen. I think the best you could hope for is to maybe present a new perspective on an older on an old subject to somebody that makes them take pause and go, "Oh, I never really thought about it that way." Um, the rest of it is people, I think, bullshitting themselves that them going out there and, and attacking people who have different points of view is somehow enlightening people. And it's not. It's a self-serving way of, of okay, I feel better about myself. I went and called this person a, a, a cuck or a fucking Trump tard or whatever the fuck. If you admit that and go, yeah, I'm just going to go out here and troll. I don't give a fuck about changing people's minds. Hey, go, go knock yourself out. Have fun. At least you're being honest about it. Yeah. The problem is, is that too many people do that, and then when they get called on it, they start at what? What? It's crazy. No, I'm totally innocent here. I yeah, whatever. I was yeah. the one who was being attacked. Fuck off, dude. Yeah. Seriously. And, and it's also pretty audacious of you to think that you're going to change somebody's mind like that. I know a million other people have tried to make this point, but I'm going to be the one that changes this person's mind. And you're not mind. saying anything different. You're not saying Correct. anything different. The reason it doesn't work is because we've heard it all be fucking for. Jesus Christ. I, I do not know how many times uh, it's so frustrating. It is so frustrating. You hear the same argument over. It's like the same person coming in. Re- I don't know. Quoting reading Matthew 6, 5. This guy reads it this way. Then the next guy in line changes a couple words. The next guy in line maybe just paraphrases, but the whole scripture's still intact. Over and over and over and over and over again for years, man. You don't hear anything new. You know exactly where these people are fucking coming from. The core idea is in granite. It's just decorated. It's got different fucking color wrapping on it. That's the only difference. And you wonder why you're not changing anybody's fucking mind. Because you don't have anything to say that they haven't heard before. So if they've heard it before, do you suppose they have arguments ready to go that they've used on other people? It makes the, These are the things that make me want to just drive my head into the corner of a fucking cinder block till dead. I was going to say, these that's how you things- really feel, Todd. I was going to say, this is, this is the things that made Marvin Gaye write the song, make me want to holler, but <laughs> <laughs> driving your head into a cinder block, I guess it's a form of hollering. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to the original point, because there's one very big point that I want to make about this, and that uh, down the line of Howard Zinn and the socialist, this is always from the left, by the way. Understand this. This is historically a problem coming from the left is attacking nationalism because people from the left, the socialist wing of the political spectrum is globalist in nature. Okay. And international in nature. They, they have this concept of one global community living in peace and utopia for all of eternity. 
That's their concept of this. So patriotism to them is provincialism. It's, it's their version of tribalism, a manifestation of tribalism, but it is tribalism. It's part of human nature to be tribal. But to them, it's a disease, and it's always been that way. And it's the one of the largest failings and one of the reasons that leftism is never going to get very far is because they have abandoned the simple, fundamental premise of patriotism. They've surrendered it to the conservatives. And Orwell, again, one quick paragraph. One cannot see the modern world as it is unless one recognizes the overwhelming strength of patriotism, national loyalty. In certain circumstances, it can break down. At certain levels of civilization, it does not exist. But as a positive force, I'll come back to that, as a positive force, there is nothing to sit beside it. Christianity and international socialism are as weak as straw in comparison with patriotism. Hitler and Mussolini rose to power in their own countries very largely because they could grasp this fact, and their opponents, the socialists, could not. You look around. In in contemporary times in this country right now, a lot of what you're seeing, especially this week, with Trump and the squad. That's how I'm going to say the squad from now on. Squad. Like I'm shitting out a log. You've got these four women who have stood up and done, maybe right, maybe wrong. Maybe there, there are elements, maybe there's some there, there. That's not the point. This is about the propaganda campaign. This is about dog whistling to the base, criticizing your own country. Patriotism isn't cool. We need to change the country. We need to make the country, into. we need to reshape it in our own image. The image of our God, our political God, it must be our religion guiding things. And patriotism, oh no, that's not part of the plan, Jack. Well, on the other side, the other congregation sees that. They see it and they react in kind. So somebody like Trump, the jackhammer that he is, can go out and make some of the most ignorant statements anybody's ever heard. Go back to your own country. He can come out and say that because he knows instinctively. I don't think he can I don't think he can like intellectually get this, but I think instinctually he knows that he can use that to trigger nationalism among his own patriots. And anything he says, anything he says is going to resonate with them because what's the alternative? These four bitches over here that hate their own country. That is the ultimate, one of the ultimate and primary failings of socialism. Leftism in general is abandoning love of your own country. Nobody can exist like that. If that's your goal and that's your, and that's your doctrine and that's your scripture, you're going nowhere. You'll have temporary success. But you're going to be weak as straw in the face of this group of tribal patriots over here. Why don't they understand that? Help me out here. For the love of fuck, please. I can't speak for him. I can just take a guess. And I think you were absolutely right. I think part of it is the, it's not, it's not cool to be a patriot. Now, 
gun to their heads, they probably, especially, you know, notorious AOC, she probably would never admit that. But I know a lot of people around her age or her age who talk, act, have worldviews just like her. And they're backed up by nothing but what they've been told by other people. There's no personal experience. There's no facts that back it up. It's just, oh, well, you know, America is based on colonialism and slavery and this and this. And so anything built on that foundation can't be good. It goes back to make America great again. Remember the the backlash at first was America was never great. That's the type of people you're dealing with. Exactly. To me, I'm beyond even caring to understand why they feel that way. And I guess you you did bring up a good point. I want want to address this real quick. I guess my problem is unchecked patriotism, which would be... Nationalism. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people don't understand the difference between the two. And they constantly cross the line between the two. But they think they're being patriotic. It's like people to go... You can't criticize someone because you can't, Rich, you can't criticize a black person because you're not black. Fuck you. Fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. Just because when I say love my country, like I said, I can't think of really any place off the top of my head I'd rather live. I'd like to visit a lot of places, but I'd like to come home. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like visiting my family, but I like having a home to go to where they're not at. You know what I'm saying? So. I, think, I think we can all probably agree on the fact that the national myth, the national narrative, is pretty much bullshit. Right? All men are created equal, except Indians, blacks, women, that kind of thing. That was gay. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much founded on bullshit, right? It's a myth. It's like taking the Bible literally. In my head, and I think most people who have put a lot of thought into this, would probably come to the same conclusion. That these are these are aspirations. These are goals. These are just fundamental principles that we're going to live by. Even if we're not there yet, even if it is bullshit, this is the foundation, the narrative around which we're going to build this country. And it's done relatively well. I mean, it's been horrific from the beginning with slavery and women not having the right to... I, I, nobody's arguing that fact. But over the course of a couple hundred years... It has slowly been correcting itself. It's slowly been moving toward a moving toward a more perfect union. Very slowly and very isn't, imperfectly. Isn't that the point, though? To not strive enough for some people. Well, exactly. Well, it's not, it's not just the speed of it. It's the fact that you point out. Okay, look. Yeah, you're right. We absolutely started off from a, from a fucked up place. And we've been trying to get to the, the, the ideal place ever since. Look at the progress we've made. But these people go, eh, 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 whatever. That doesn't count. We need, we need this, 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 and we need it to happen now. I don't care that, you know, yeah, women have been able to vote since, what, 1920? I don't care that, you know, the Equal Rights Amendment was passed in 68 or was it four or eight, whatever. You know what, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like gay rights. Gay rights in the last 10 or 15 years. Compared to women's suffrage, compared to Jim Crow, gay rights have moved at a fucking light speed pace. We were sitting here 15 years ago in 2004 talking about gay marriage. Now we're sitting here talking about 76 different genders and our transgendered people is, you know, a quote unquote real male or female once they transition, 
I mean, I didn't think we'd be that to this point until I was like gasping for my last breath on my deathbed. 15 years, we, we, we just shot ahead and it's still not good enough. Nothing's good enough. And it never because will people be. have, yes, it, they, they have no end game. There is no, we've reached the destination. There is. We've reached our utopia yeah. because it's one, it's impossible. And two, they don't, if gun to their head, they couldn't even tell you what their utopia is. I will say there are people who want, who are egalitarian, who are like, you know, look, in a, in a perfect world, we're all exactly equal. We all exactly have the same opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. As unrealistic as that is, I will at least give a grudging respect to that person because they have an end game in mind. It's the people, the social vengeance warriors who just go, no, no, we just want to take the totem pole of power and flip it. And we become the oppressors because now it's our turn. Yeah. It's our turn to look down our noses at people. It's our turn to run around doing whatever the fuck we want with impunity. And I, then, then you don't want justice. You want what I say to them is if it didn't work out so well with us, what makes you think it's going to work out so well with you? People are people. They, That's the thing. This is, the, this is where I actually have a little bit of an equality streak in me. <laughs> right? Because I think you're just as fucked up as we are. And I don't think you're going to be any better in your little authoritarian or totalitarian dream world, your little wet dream. I don't think it's going to be any better for me than it was for you. Why would I think that? Why would I think otherwise? That is actually intellectually, cognitively, philosophically, that's equality. I'm attributing the same faults that I have to you. And I don't really want you to be, you know, sort of the, the authoritarian of the week. What's wrong with that? Where's, where's my logic breaking down here? Am I required to take on a debt that I didn't incur? In some people's minds, yes. Well, they can. Now, yeah. No. <laughs> that isn't, no, that isn't going to happen. I'm not paying granddaddy's debt for you. And to be quite honest with you, I don't think you're entitled to collect it. So my daddy fucked your granddaddy. Do you think that I should be paying you for that? How does that work? How does that work in any logical mind? Well, remember back to when, when they first started talking about separating parents and children who had crossed the border illegally? Yeah. And they were saying you can't visit the sins of the parent upon the child. Oh, unless it comes to you want to get something out of it. Right. AKA you need to pay me reparations or, or, or you need to pay for what happened 200 years ago. And it's like, uh, you don't see, you don't see where those two ideas are at odds with each other. And he, they'll look you dead in the face and go, no. Yeah. They'll go, that's different. Oh, okay. So that, that's, that's, that's the end of the talk right there. You just declare something's different and that's, that's it. It's over with. Well, Chris, let me ask you a question. When did your family get here? In America. Uh, my grandfather came over on a boat, I think, in like, nine, I think he came in the big 1919 push. Oh, so literally your grandparents weren't born. Yeah. You're not okay. even American, so, dude. What the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> Go back to your country. How, how, did you get, how did you get on this line? You got a green card? <laughs> I need to see the papers. Papers. I had to hook up with Mohammed. Papers, please. <laughs> your, your family came over in 19? I believe so, yeah. Both sides? Ellis Island. 
because our last name that that's that's not our last name. That is what Ellis Island decided our last name was. And the more this whole ancestry stuff is out, we might be Turkish, not Lebanese. The more we're finding out. Sweet, you're fucking yeah. Ottomans. Awesome, Constantinople and shit. Well, so you can actually trace back to when your family came here. I can't trace the exact generation my family came here. So I get the feeling my family wasn't supposed to be here. (laughs) 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 And, And like, you know, because my family is primarily Irish, I'm thinking that like they probably got here and just like, you know, just stay under the radar for a few generations. And then hopefully they'll leave us alone. And eventually, hey, I guess it worked. But. I know that if you go farther back than my great, great grandmother, it depends on who you talk to, whether that's the generation that came over here or if it was a few generations before that. And I, to, I don't know because all these people are dead. And it was something that no one ever talked about in my family. It's interesting that it's like, okay, so you, ha- you have a family that legit came here. I have a family who probably wasn't supposed to be here. Yet here we are in the, in, at the end result, how many, like, you know, three, four, five generations later? For me and two generations for you, we're, we're we're Americans, all right. I don't I don't. How do I put this? That to me seems rather quick to abandon one culture, one you know that you come from, and just totally accept another. But isn't isn't that part of what immigrants you know? It's part of the experience for an immigrant to come here to acclimate themselves to American life. To bring, you know, a little bit of their culture, but ultimately, you know, put it into the big melting pot that is American culture. Because American culture isn't any one thing in my mind. It's a goulash of things mm. brought from all over the place. <laughs> a lot of things that have been appropriated. Appreciation, appropriation, I guess it depends on what side you're standing, right? Right. If you go to Italy, better yet, you, you talk to some of my relatives back in Ireland, they call us plastic patties over here. They're like, oh, you go drink your your green beer and... And kiss me, I'm Irish on St. Patrick's Day, you fucking plastic patties. You know, you're the fuckers that got away. You know, and I'm like, really? That's your attitude towards me? And then you know historically how every, every ethnicity that has made their way in waves to this country has been shit upon for X amount of years. And we move on to the next one. You know, it was the Chinese at one point, the Irish at one point. And it seems like, you know, I thought it was honestly going to be Middle Eastern people. I got to say, I know that there's a bunch of arguing after 9-11, but if that had been uh, like <laughs> if, Me- if Mexico's version of the Taliban had attacked us on 9-11, like that wall would be built already. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> that country would be bulldozed, at least down to Guadalajara. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we just have like, a wasteland Me- between here and Mexico City. <laughs> so I, it, it, I don't know. I... That's my problem when people are like, well, you know, you're not American. You're not welcome here. Well, none of us are really truly from here for the most part. At what point do you become an American? Uh, and when you're born here? No, I mean, really? I, I, honestly, I, I mean, it, it, in, in, the, in the traditional sense of the word, in the American sense of the word, becoming an American, or the phrase becoming an American, when you get your, you get your citizenship papers, as soon as you're here, you're not sneaking in and not overstaying your visa and all that shit. But as soon as you, you get the stamp, however they do it, however it happens, I don't know, I never had to go through this, but however, whenever you become an official American citizen, that's when you become an American. Were people sneaking, sneaking into the country in 1919 as well? 
I don't know the history of the immigration history all that well. Were people just sneaking in from Canada and up through Mexico at the same time? Oh, I can tell you for a fact people were coming in through Canada. I might have had a family member or two that came into Canada. <laughs> Why would you go through Ellis just Island? Saying. Why would you go through Ellis Island then? That sounds like hell. Why wouldn't you just sail up to Quebec? It's not any further. Different just opportunities. The... Boats going yeah. one way, another boat's going another. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe I look at it. See, I, I'm I'm a little different. I sound like I'm like one of the 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 uh, conservative folks on the on the border and immigration, and I'm not. Be perfectly honest with you. Like my values, I've said this before to you guys. I think my value system is like if you have you're being hunted by a gang, and you're starving to death down there in Honduras. Come on up. We got shit you can do. Come on, come on. Just if you're a criminal, you need to go back. If you're part of the MS13, fuck you. Kill yourself. The rest of you guys, you little kids, over. Come on. We got things. We got toys. Come on. I'm all about that. I've met these people, man, and that, that's part of it. I have laid eyes on these teenage kids who are making plans to go take the death train up through Mexico and get across the border to come up here to live. I've talked to them. I understand why, why most of them are doing this. I'm all for it. We have room. Plenty of farms. Why do you don't want to work on? Exactly, on and they know it. And they're willing to and outwork us for it. There's this stereotype somehow that, especially now that's being pushed, that everybody that comes to America, whether through legal means or illegal means, they want to come here and turn America into their country. Then why the fuck did they leave their country? I lived in Florida when I was still able to work with and talk to people who left after Castro came to power. And let me tell you something. Those people came here. And love the fact that they have the freedom they have. And a lot of the, the older Cubans, the Cubans that actually came from Cuba, fled Castro's regime, uh, they're some of the most diehard conservatives you're ever going to meet. They are not on the, the, oh, the yeah. leftist socialist bandwagon. Trust me on that. Very few people who have lived <clears throat> in those communist states are. People, it's funny, isn't it? And this is something that's dawned on me. Uh, if, if socialism... This is something to ask your uh, relative there, Rich, <laughs> next time you have mm-hmm. a chat with him. Ask him why the Berlin Wall was up if communism was so great. Why were they having to put walls up to keep people in? Why did the Berlin Wall exist if communism was so fucking great? You already know the answer to that. It wasn't done the right way. Why did people have to sneak out of Cuba? Why were they trying to keep them on the island? Well, except for the Mariel boat lift. That was like, get rid of all these prisons, right? <laughs> Isn't that what Castro did in 1980 or whatever it was? Yeah, that was the, that was the basis for the movie Scarface. <laughs> Empties of the prison. Here, take these guys. <laughs> we're going to keep the rest of these guys locked in. You can have these murderers and thieves. But no, that, that's a legitimate question. I mean, it, it, all these people who have this such a wet dream hard on over communism and socialism all of a sudden, just ask yourself, why did the Berlin Wall exist? Why were people running through it when it came down? Why is it not around now if it's so great? When you have to build a wall to keep the people of your country in your country, that should tell you something right there. Yeah. And this okay. isn't that fucking long ago. I, was, I, I remember clearly the day the wall came down. Yeah, David Hasselhoff saying why they were tearing it down. Scorpions like, had a top oh, 10 hit because of that shit. The winds of change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was back in the 80s when whistling during a song was a, was a popular thing for like three years. <laughs> but no, 
Yeah. I absolutely. Can, absolutely. I don't have my tech yeah, I in. Whistle. I can't whistle. <laughs> I can't whistle for shit anyways. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a question. Remember the whole, there's mass caravans coming from the South to cross the border illegally into the United States. Yeah. And it was like, okay, great. Wonderful. So this, these massive caravans are coming and blah, 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 blah. And, and you know, they're like, Oh, and you know, they, they want to turn this into a socialist country when they get here. And I'm like, well, why didn't they stop in Venezuela then? If their ultimate goal is, to, is a socialist utopia, why didn't they stop there? And I asked that question to a person who, you know, is a friend of mine, and I never got an answer. Boy, did I get a bunch of attacks sure. directed at me yeah. for even asking that question. That's the elephant stampede. I can tell you this from experience. If you're like in Honduras, Venezuela is a whole hell of a lot easier to get to than this country. A lot easier. Yeah, I guess that's it for. I would consider myself rather liberal about my immigration policies. I think we need to be able to streamline it for people who can be vetted and pass, a, you know, the, the whatever the background checks we we need them to pass. But at the same time, I have to ask this question, and I'm called a Nazi for even asking it. But what is so wrong with in, enforcing our laws at our own borders? Nothing. Why is that wrong? Nothing. You're not liberal on that. This is one of the misconceptions that I that I think people have, and the, how they misperceive the other side's beliefs, at least the layman's beliefs, like the ordinary rank and file people. What you just said about immigrants: streamline the process, make it a sensible process, make sure they're vetted properly. If they're if they're okay, they're not criminals. They don't have diseases, and they're you know all of that shit. Make it sensible. Make it streamlined. Come on in. Most conservatives that I know, that I've talked to personally, think exactly the same thing. They're not anti-immigration. They're not xenophobic to some Hitler degree. They want it done the right way. Just like everybody else. Just like your folks who came through Ellis Island, Chris. They did it the right way. They went through the proper channels whatever the channel's worth time. Why can't we do that with the, with the southern border? I say here is your social security card. You can now give us one out of every $4. Welcome to America. Yeah. And most conservatives, I'm telling you, I, I, I am telling you this. I, I'm going to claim it as a rock-solid fact. Most conservatives will agree with that. They just want it done the right way. They do not want a flood of undocumented people just streaming over the fucking border. And I don't see any, you're absolutely right about that, Rich. I don't see any problem with enforcing the laws at the border. Every other country in the world does it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but the, 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 the critics will go, well, how do you know that's the right way? We all, we all know the retorts. Exactly. It's the right way to you, maybe it's not the right way to them. If I you know your notice? sect, I can, I can predict your argument because I've heard it a hundred times. Yes, we do know the arguments at this point, don't we? You ever, you ever notice that when you, when, you, when you bring up a criticism of something or like, okay, I get this a lot in the last 10 years, you know, I'll say something and I'll deal with a person and, you know, the person's obviously functionally retarded. I mean, they're stupid, you know, and it's like, oh, God, Jesus. All right. Or, or worse, they're willfully ignorant. Yeah. That's, I, 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 I use the word retarded in the sense we used it as a, as a kid. But I understand that people are going to take that as I'm talking about a, a you know a person who's literally mentally disabled. That's not what I mean. What I mean is you're dealing with a willfully ignorant person who does not wish to get enlightened or have any more knowledge 
told to them or understand. And when I'm done dealing with them, I'll go, God, what a fucking idiot. Well, who are you to fucking say that about them? The person who just dealt with them, you stupid fuck. Didn't you see me <laughs> dealing with this idiot for 10 minutes to order a fucking one-topping pizza? Who the fuck takes 10 minutes to order a one-topping pizza? A fucking idiot. A dumbass. Well, you don't know what that per- Maybe that person, you know, uh, didn't have parents that taught him how to. Maybe this. Maybe that. I'm Dude. like, you throw out constant fucking bullshit, made-up scenarios. Maybe, 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 maybe. What if your parents never fucking met? Fuck you. We could play this game all day. Deal with the reality of the situation. He's dumb. Nobody has well, time well, to engage in 320 million cases of personal fucking nuance with everyone every single day. Welcome to political discourse with my wife. That's literally how everything always goes. Well, you don't know. It always comes back to the whole this, this, this new mentality that's permeated our society. You don't know their story. Neither do you. you Neither do you. You don't know their story any better than I do. And it's not about their story anyway. Politics is about the collective, not your personal fucking experience applied to everyone else. I don't need to know your story. National politics, when it comes to a collective policy, when it comes to making laws that rule uh, and uh, govern a collective body, your personal experience, your personal trials and tribulations mean dick i'm sorry stoneman douglas kids it's terrible what happened to you you are not even a blip on the national radar when it comes to setting policy what happened to you didn't happen to about 350 million other fucking people your personal experience is yours it's for you it's not for me if you're too stupid to order a one-topping pizza in less than 10 minutes, phone it the fuck in. <laughs> or have or someone hold your hand to the fucking restaurant and do it for you. What's worse is that we've streamlined it via Little Caesars where they could just walk in and go, I want a hot and ready. And I bet you there's idiots that take five minutes to order one hot and ready. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I want you to explain this to me. I want you to, someone please play devil's advocate because I don't understand this. How the fuck is it that these 17 little, I'm, I'm going to bite my tongue. These 17 fine young men and women at Marjorie Stoneman, Wait a minute. Hold on. I, 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 I've got to calm myself down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a, a bit of a heart attack here if I don't. How is it that these kids are allowed to let their personal experience affect 350 million other people? Why is their experience so much more important in aggregate than the experience of 350 million other people. I blame Whitney Houston. That children are our future bullshit. I read it. You took it right out of my mouth. Yeah, it's this whole youth culture worship thing that has sprung up in like the last 20 years. Stop. 19-year-olds don't know dick. Stop <laughs> telling them they did. It really is. It's the backlash. Or excuse me, not the backlash. This is the fallout of the self-esteem movement and even the people who were were championing the self-esteem movement at the beginning of it have a lot of those same people have now come out and said oh boy we fucked this up sorry guys because now you have households ran by children and i'm not exaggerating 
I won't name names because I'm not going to shame my friends, but I have friends whose children run their fucking house because they go, I can't do anything. And I'm like, yeah, you can be a parent. I can't, I can't yell at them. That's abuse. I can't spank them. That's even worse. I try to punish them and they just don't listen and go do what the fuck they want anyways. And I'm like, that's someone who doesn't know how to assert themselves. Is their spouse the boss too? Well, I mean, it's both mom and dad being ran by the kids, you know, and I'm listening, I'm listening to a a segment on on NPR the other day about climate change. And they're talking about, you know, if you're a parent listening to this right now and your child comes home and tells you that the household needs to do certain things to help protect the environment and slow the, the, you know, the process of man's effect on the environment, you need to listen to them because it's their future. Fuck you. Not yours. I need Todd. Must calm down. Must calm down. (sighs) (laughs) (sighs) That's exactly my reaction. (laughs) We have a use for this music. But yes, when I when I heard that, I yelled so loud in my car, I thought I fractured my my larynx. I was like, "Get the fuck out of here!" I mean, just I couldn't believe it. The Looney Tune song. <laughs> it's fucking Looney. You guys got another hour in you? Yeah, I can do one. Mister Kristov, descendant of the Isle of Ellis, you got another hour in you? Uh-oh. Check your oh, line there we again. Go. <laughs> God damn it. I think my cord on this thing... Hey, it's five years... You're cutting out again. <laughs> we'll let this go until he fixes it. I want to see how this plays out. It's like... It's dramatic music. Let's see if Chris can fix his microphone there in Tennessee. How about now? There you go. All right. Don't touch the cable. Seriously, I have got to decompress from this. <laughs> yeah. I should bring All some- I got to say is, if you are one of these people who think that having kids and letting them raise themselves is going to work out for everybody in the long run, heed my advice. Abortion is the greenest thing you can do. <laughs> swallow. The second Just greenest, swallow the, the shit. Sec- swallow. The second greenest is swallow slash anal. <laughs> Thanks for painting the green anal picture. Well, you know what a blue waffle is. No, I don't. Now we got a I green don't. a green balloon knot. <laughs> I don't know what a green what's what is it? What is it? A blue waffle. You've never seen blue waffle? Uh, Google that during the break. No, I want I want him to explain it. <laughs> I can't. I want you, him it, to explain it to this music. I can't. It's, 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 <laughs> dude, you have I'm, you have, I, you have I don't know. I don't know what it is. See it like everybody else. It involves a woman's genitalia, but I do not know the condition. I don't know the condition that she has. That's I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, let's let's do another hour for the listener. Sorry, you're going to have to wait. (laughs) Make sure you check out the next episode, EscapingTheCave.com. Also, uh, Chris's network, ChristopherMedia.net. And uh, check out ETC Pod over at Twitter. 
Oh, this is great. It's building. Ready? Make sure you check out Unregimented over there, too. I feel like I'm on the air again, Chris. They kind of are. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> Until next time, so long.